From one islander to another, Isle of Wight Radio proudly presents John Hannam Meets. Hi and welcome to another John Hannah Meets Archive. Today I'm going right back to 1993 when I went to the Haven Street Steam Rally to meet a guy called Bill Pertwee, also known as the fearful Air Raid Warden Hodges in Dad's Army, of course. So it's back to 93. John Hannam Meets, from the Archive. Bill, nice to see you again. Nice to see you. We haven't met since somewhere in the 1970s, amazingly. I know, it's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> you don't look any different. <laughs> oh, well, we don't, and none of us do, do we? That's right. We're Peter Pan's, really, <laughs> if you're in the entertainment business. Bill, you've had an amazing career, but initially you wanted to be a cricketer, of all things, didn't you? Uh, that, uh, yes, I think that was a sort of uh, one of those whims that you have as a youngster. Um, but this was a bit more of a whim, the, the, the cricket thing, because... It, People thought that I might be, um, uh, you know, a fair professional cricketer. So um, I went along that road for a while, um, but it didn't. It didn't disappoint me when, in fact, they said, "No, I don't think you, I don't think you'd make the grade." And, and the, unless you've got private means, you, you know, it's it's really a very hard life. Because I think when I was young, then it was uh, cricketers' wages about eight pounds a week or something. That was in the season, never mind the off-season. And so uh, I, I was quite happy to go back just playing it as I used to and, and at weekends and things like that. But you had a few games for Essex seconds at one time, didn't you? Yes, I did, yes. That was, that was fun. Played at Westcliff, yes. Played against uh, one or two of the uh, British Empire 11 teams. I had, uh, used to have C.B. Clark, the West Indian, playing for them, and uh, Deary Constantine, of course. The, the Smith brothers, who played for Essex, they were in that uh, team for a while. Yeah, it was, it was good fun, but but um, just a period of my life that was good fun, and you you get over something else, don't you? How did you get into the sort of showbiz side? Because you were a stooge in the early days, were you? Yes, I was. I, I stooged um, when I still had a job. I, I, I didn't give up my job because I, I didn't really know whether I wanted to be in the business at all. Um, and it was a very late age. I mean, I was, I was about 28 when, when I decided that I might like to have a go at it. So I, I became a, a five-pound-a-week stooge for various comedians, particularly my own cousin, John Pertwee, because I thought well, he'll be pretty frank with me about, you know, the situations that one copes with um, if you've just come into the business of a raw recruit. And so that was very good. I did about six weeks of that. Um, still holding down my daytime job, you see. And um, <laughs> then uh, I decided I, w I would have a go at it, and certainly at, at the writing. That's how it actually started. I wrote some stuff for Beryl Reed, and then went into a review with her, uh, doing the material that I'd written. Your first summer season was in Norfolk, I think, mm. a small theatre. It was. The Galston Pavilion, yes, overlooking the, the beach there. It was a beautiful summer, 1955. It, oh. It was wonderful weather. We swam and we played tennis and goodness knows what. And oh, it was just glorious. And, and uh, I mean, it was 
quite different from anything that I'd, I'd done before. Here was I sort of having the days free and, and uh, just working at nights and quite enjoying myself. And, and I wasn't very good. Well, I was pretty bad. I was pretty bad in those days. I mean, obviously, because I was, I was very much a raw recruit. But I, I learned and then the next summer went into another uh, sort of bigger concert party and learned a bit more. And uh, so, it, so it went on for, for two or three years and then one went from there. I mean, I got a break into radio and that's, that's, right. that's really started it all off. Isn't it? Back in 63, you came to the Isle of Wight for Tony and Sybil Snelling to that's do a right. show at the Rivley Cinema in Sandown. Yes, you remember I, that? Yes, Christmas, I, wasn't it? Yes, I do very well. <laughs> yes, I'd met Sybil when she was in the show. Um, I forget where it was now, anyway. Uh, but uh, I'd met her and we, we became friends. And she was then, um, you know, with Tony, and they were putting on this this cabaret or, 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 or something or other at the, the little cinema they had in the Rivoli to go with the bingo because they used to run bingo there. That's right. A lovely little place. And I'd, I'd not met Tony, of course, Tony Snelling at that time. And uh, I came over, and it was it was a bit of a rough crossing. I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know. But it resulted, in fact, that night. Um, in Don Moody, who was then the entertainment manager, asking me to come back uh, the next year, well, that, that coming year, um, 1964, in, in a summer show here. What, was you, what do you remember about that summer show? It was very successful, wasn't it? Well, yes, it was. And it, it was, a, it was a, a, another wonderful uh, hot summer. So it was, a, again, you know, we were swimming and goodness knows what, and got to know all sorts of people on the island. It was, very, uh, it was a very social occasion. Uh, so I, one made quite a lot of friends over here. I, um, I, we loved it, loved it, absolutely super. And I know you've enjoyed coming back ever since. Today we're at Haven Street for the Steam Rally, but mm. you've sort of come and gone from the island in the last 20, 30 years, haven't you, really? Yes, I've, I've come over here to stay with friends, um, which, which is lovely. Um, I think if, I, if I've only got time for a short break, this is where I try and come to because you do feel you're actually cut off from, you know, the telephone or whatever it might be. You're not, but I mean, you feel you are because you're on an island and, and it's a lovely island, no matter what time of year you come to it, I think I, I, I think so anyway. Bill, let's talk about radio. You came in with mm. Kenneth Horn, obviously, mm. uh, Beyond Our Ken, Round the Horn. Mm. Great legendary series. I mean, mm. uh, still they're issuing tapes of the series, That's aren't right. they? Yes, they are, yes. My first break into radio was about 1958, I'd done a couple of solo spots before that, but nothing very much. Uh, I did a Charlie Chester show, I did a little bit of um, uh, the last series of Razor Laugh, and then from there went into Beyond Our Ken, and that was in 1959, and that was wonderful. I mean, immediately you were into a different type of, of radio show, a brilliant writing and so forth, and then it developed into Round the Horn, and uh, I was with both those for about eight and a half years. So it was, it was just marvellous. It taught me a hell of a lot, too. I mean, obviously working with some great <laughs> radio people. Did you have so much fun in the studio with people like Kenneth Williams? And you must have had some great laughs. Yes. Uh, uh, the thing was that we had to get the work done very quickly because we literally had from 10 in the morning until half past 12 to, to rehearse it and with the... To, to, to get on the mic and actually go through it, go through the script, and then with the sound effects and with the mechanical sound effects from the, from the actual studio that they were putting on. So it was a very fast bit of radio. 
to do. And that's where one learnt so much from these other people. You had no time for wasting. But at the same time, you always had that first sort of quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, which one you always used to look forward to. I used to walk across the park when living in Brighton then and, and feel a, you know, a real spring in my step that we were going to the Paris studio to have another day of, uh, of fun. But once we'd got over that 20 minutes, all the laughs, which there were many laughs, <laughs> uh, it was... Uh, I mean, Williams always had some sort of story, I mean, and, and it would embellish it to, to the extreme, which we all loved. And, and uh, then we'd get down to business, and, and it was then on until and, and we had a short break before we actually recorded at one o'clock. How many people listened to that, Bill? It was quite a, quite a few million. We, well, yes, we used to get sometimes an audience of 20 million on a Saturday. Unbelievable. Which is unbelievable. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, you can't believe that 20 million would listen to one radio programme. Young people now are sort of buying yeah. the tapes and listening to oh, the yes. shows, aren't it's they? It's a big hit in America, too. Became about two years ago. Warner Brothers, they're big film people, but they've got a, a radio department or radio section, and they have, have leased the the rights to, to play them in America, and it's it's big success over there. It's, it's, it's amazing, really. Yeah, so it's, and it's so very English. That's I don't really understand that. I mean, it's so very English. Put that light out! I'm trying to relax and listen to John Hannum. Bill, let's come now and talk about Dad's Army. I think I'm right in saying you were due to go to a summer season, but you turned it down. It was the longest season I would have done. I'd done two or three, well, quite a lot of summer seasons up to that point. And uh, they were very nice and they were going to give me a house. It was all really going to be laid on for me more than it ever had been before. And I just had a, I don't know what it was. I had a sort of, driving back from Plymouth, having seen the folks, I had a gut feeling that um, I wasn't going to do it. And I, I, I just said, no, I'm awfully sorry. Nobody could understand me. My agent certainly couldn't. Uh, my wife couldn't, uh, the people down there couldn't, and so I said, well, there you are, it's one of those things. And they thought I'd gone mad. <laughs> and we sat in the garden and for the first four or five weeks of the summer, I uh, think, oh, well, that's, you know, I mean, where's the money coming from? Got a mortgage and so forth. And the phone rang and that was the start of Dad's Army. So I would never have been in Dad's Army had I done that season at Plymouth. You only had two to start with, two, didn't you? Two yeah. out of six. That's right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In two episodes out of the first six. Then it started to grow and, of course, it became... How many did you do in the end, Bill? Uh, well, I was in probably about 75 of the 80 episodes, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was in the stage show, of course. And, uh, yes which was played for a year in London and the, and the provinces, and uh, we did 70 radio episodes as well. What are the main memories of Dad's Army for you? I mean, there must have been great... You know, well, it was great a great team, team. Yeah. yes. It was a wonderful team, a uh, very close-knit team. Uh, the strange thing was that they, they were all a little eccentric. Yeah. They had their own egos. On screen and off. Yes, <laughs> they had their own egos. But when they came together, my goodness me, they didn't half work like a team. Those, those seven, you know, regulars, whew, were wonderful. I mean, the seven main characters of the platoon went and worked wonderfully well. It's a brilliant piece of casting, really. And it's still very popular. I mean, you've mm. got books written about mm. it and more TV coming back, I think. Well, yeah, the, the repeats are, yes, that's right, the repeats are there, you know. Um, and we pick up a new uh, generation of people every time it's repeated, you know. Even the dogs like it. (laughs) (laughs) Why has it been so popular? Can you really put a finger on it? It was a period piece when it was made, so it can't date. And it was actually about a period in our own history. The 1940s happened, they had a home guard. So it's, it's really built on reality. 
I mean, we know that the program is 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 over the top, uh, but uh, not quite over the top, perhaps as, as one may may think, because the uh, original Home Guard was a bit, uh, you know, was a bit of a Fred Carnot's army, wasn't it, <laughs> to begin with, anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, on top of that, you've got a sort of a Max Sennett and Laurel and Hardy type humour. You've got great sincerity by the performers, playing it with great sincerity. They don't. They're not saying to the audience, look at us, aren't we funny, uh, laugh. There's nothing of that at all. They're, they're playing it exactly as, as one would play a straight play, really. You know, they're, they're all the characters within this goldfish bowl, as it were, and people are looking in, so that's, that's the other thing. I think it's very much a question of knowing the goodies and the baddies. Now, if you know the goodies and the baddies, like we used to when we were children, that's why it's so popular with the kids, I think, with the uh, cowboys and Indians. We knew who the goodies <laughs> and who the baddies were. And there's no question that you know in this who the goodies and who the baddies are. I mean, I'm the baddie who always cops it in the end, exactly like they used to with Laurel and Hardy and Max Sennett and so forth, and Buster Keaton. I mean, it was always the, the, the villain who copped it in the end. You know? So I think that, that's another reason. Very simple. It's simple humour. You don't have to work it out. It's, it's easily, easy to understand. You're a goodie in your recent series, you rang my lord, of course, playing the policeman. Well, yeah, yes, I mean, he, uh, yes, he's a sort of, uh, well, I mean, he's a bit of a slimy devil, isn't he? I mean, he walks up and down those railings outside, waiting until he smells the, uh, the, the stew that's coming up or something, and pretends that, you know, uh, he, he's, uh, he doesn't know that they're, they're just going to have lunch. He comes down and says, oh, goodness me, oh, having a bit of lunch, oh, well, very nice, I like a bit of stew. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's as the coppers, I think, were then. They, and, and, of course, they were very much part of a village. I mean, every, every city, particularly London, had a village. I mean, Mayfair was a village, Chelsea was a village and things like that. So, really, um, I, I think that uh, every village had, had its own policeman, its own area in London, and, and he was one of them, obviously. Well, you've also made lots of appearances in the West End, going right back, I think, mm. to about 74 when you made the first one, but you've sort yep. of been yeah. in and out of the West End ever since, really. Is that something you enjoy? Uh, in short, short bursts, yes. Don't like to be out there too long. No, no, I'm not, not crazy about London. Did you ever imagine when you were sort of going into summer concert party that you mm. would actually end up acting in the West End? Was it ever in your mind? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, think, I don't really know what I thought I would finish up doing. Or whether I'd finish up doing anything, quite honestly. I don't know at, at that time. I mean, I certainly didn't think I'd be in a, in a Royal Command performance, which I was in 1975. I certainly didn't think that I'd ever do a solo spot at the London Palladium. Uh, so, I mean, the, those things that, that happen on the way, and you think, well, isn't that marvellous? You've been an author, too. You've written several super yeah. books, like mm. Promenades and Heroes, yeah. which is one that we first met on when you were actually coming yeah. to see uh, Paus Pinder, wasn't yeah, that's it? That's right. Paus Pinder's son, I think. That's right, absolutely, yes. This is quite a lot about the Isle of Wight in, in that book. Uh, and uh, then it came by Royal Command, which is a history of the right. Royal Command performances. Um, then in the last three of sort of, uh, I didn't write again until 1988, 89, something like that, and the, the Dad's Army book came out, which was, I thought the writers should have written, and they said, oh, no, we haven't got time, why don't you do it eventually, because <laughs> we talked about it, I thought, somebody ought to do this book about the background, how it was made, and all the characters, and their families, and everything, and... Um, so that, so that happened in 89. So I think 1990 became a bestseller. Um, 91, I had another book called The Station Now Standing, which has uh, been the basis for a pilot film that's just been finished. Um, 
with Fallen Films who are on the island here. Right. Uh, and uh, then the, the other one which came out last year was Stars in Battle Dress, which is about those servicemen and women who were, who were actually uh, entertained as well as being part of the fighting services during the Second World War. Uh, that's their story, not, not mine at all, because I wasn't part of that. But it's quite interesting. There's also a, a piece in that about um, one of the chapters is about the uh, prisoners of war who, cre who made their own entertainment marvel, even built theatres in the German and Japanese prisoner of war camps. They're unbelievable. But uh, that's, that's all part of that book. I enjoy it. I enjoy writing. What an incredible career you've had, Bill, really. Well, it's, yeah, Still it's enjoying Yes, it's a, yeah, it's a funny old career, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> it surprised you, I'm sure, hasn't it? I suppose it has sometimes, yes. Yes, I, I, yes. It's 40 years next year since I was over. We'll have a little bun fight somewhere. I don't know where we're going to have it, but we'll have it's 40 years. It was 40 years in, in yeah, 1994 that I would have been in the business, so I think we have to celebrate for something. <laughs> Bill Poetry, any burning ambition just before you go? Not really, no. No, I'm rehearsing at the moment, for which I've never, I've never done a, what I call one of the classics, and I'm, I'm doing it. I've, oh, I've been talked into it. And I had to be talked into it because I didn't really think I, I ought to do it. I'm, I'm just about to, um, well, I'm, I'm doing a tour of Bernard Shaw's Candida. I'm playing Candida's father. Very difficult, these Shaw words to learn. It's not just, if he just put a uh, Cockney character in his instructions or whatever, uh, but no, he's put every word that he wants, every syllable, how it's to be pronounced. Oh, it's very, very difficult. However, once I've done that, I will have done it, and uh, there you are. I suppose I shall learn the words. Yes, I expect <laughs> I will. <laughs> Bill Pritchley, thank you very much for talking to me. It's a pleasure. Lovely to see you again. Thank you. Nice to see you. I'm Vanilla Fielding, and whenever I can, I listen to John Hannah meets. <laughs> Happy memories there of a 1993 interview with the late Bill Pertwee, who sadly died in 2013. Strangely, about a month after my interview with Bill Pertwee, Ian Lavender was due to come to the Isle of Wight to appear with Rick Wakeman in the Gospels, and it was all set for Rick and him to come in and do my radio show live. Right at the last minute, Ian had to go back to the mainland quite early, so I did a hasty recording with him just a few minutes so that he was, in fact, on my show. So we're going back again to 1993. This time, of course, it's Pike. <laughs> Another Hannum Archive. Stupid boy. Of course, that stupid boy is actually sat with me. Ian Lavender, nice to see you. Thank you. I don't quite know how to take that, really. It's just that I'm far too old to be called a boy anymore. I know you are. I know you are. Actually, the plan was for you to come in and do a live show, but you're dashing back to England, if you like. I'm dashing back to England, yes. I'm afraid. I've got to go and, I've got to meet, go and meet all my children for the pantomime at, um, at Winchester. Brilliant. I'm going up to their first rehearsal this Super. afternoon. Superb. So, just before you actually left for the island, you agreed to have a quick chat? Yes, my pleasure. Let's have a house report. How are you? Just got clearance? Just had the second clear on the, on the biopsy, and um, for the cancer that I diagnosed with having a year ago and that's an ongoing thing so it'll be over six months hopefully for as, <laughs> for as long as I've got left you're on the island for the gospels but obviously 
millions remember you with great affection as Pike. The series, of course, is currently running again, isn't it? Yes, thank goodness. I'm very pleased about it, yeah. You almost went from drama school, or very early rep, straight into Dad's Army. Yes, I'd, I'd been out of drama school a year. I'd done six months in rep and six months at the Labour Exchange and one other television. And, and, and that happened. It was a sort of, oh, well, that's something to do in the summer. It's a job. It's a television job, which we were all hoping for, and that's what it turned out to be. It was, Quite incredible. I mean, looking back, what do you think about those days? So lucky to get such a TV series so quickly, really, weren't you? Well, um, in those days, no, I don't suppose it was so lucky to get a TV series. I mean, the, the luck was to, to get a TV series that turned into being a cult in its own time. I mean, that was the luck. I mean, the chances of doing that once in your lifetime is very, very low. And to get it right at the start was terrific, wonderful. We last met right back in 1977. <laughs> <laughs> when you and Bill Pertwee came to the island for Tony Snelling, That's Tony right, and Sybil. Yes, yes, we um, we did a little something then, as I believe. Yes. <laughs> I remember playing snooker at Tony's house afterwards. <laughs> I don't remember quite the show. You actually did, did a turn that night, which yes, surprised a lot of people. Yes, we, well, we got the costume, so we had to, really. Um, I can't remember what we did. I really cannot believe I just remember playing snooker with Tony in the small hours of the morning. But so he must have taken us for supper and given us a small glass <laughs> of wine or something. There's lots more to you, really, than Dad's arm. You've done lots of telly, really, haven't you? Oh, yes. Yes, done quite a lot. I mean, did a lot of that for a start. There were 80 programmes over the 10 years. Um, I've done about four the other glums. comedy series. Glums. The Glums, of course. Yes, I'd forgotten The Glums entirely, <laughs> uh, which I adored doing those because I was brought up on, on The Glums on the radio. Um, which was just post-war, of course, um, through the early 50s. And I, I think I knew every script that came my way. It was wonderful. Patty Brake didn't remember them quite as well as I, but uh, I, was a little, I, I am a little older. But, uh, <laughs> you did a series and she, with... And she, get the grammar right. <laughs> Molly Suglin, did you do a series with Molly Suglin? Yes, that was... Oh, Mrs. Noah, you, you are picking these out. Come back, <laughs> Mrs. Noah. Yes, that was... Yes, and we got, we got abandoned in space. <laughs> yes, that was another David Croft one. Um... Did a lovely one, which um, which I loved, and the audiences loved it as well, uh, which was called um, Mr. Big with Peter Jones and Prue Scales, which was all about <laughs> a terribly inept crook uh, played by Peter Jones, and that was a tremendous fun. Loved that. Oh, and um, I oh dear, lots of theatre, plays, the mandatory Z cars, all those, you know... And you, all grist to the actor's mill. Really. Let's talk about the Gospels then. Brilliant production. I mean, is it nice to be a part of? Oh, it's a great thrill. I mean, Rick, Rick is a, a, a teenage idol. No, 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 Rick is not a teenage idol. <laughs> he is an idol of my teenage years. Um, uh, when we met six, seven years ago, um, the face looked familiar. I was, I was doing a play on the Isle of Man, and I would go into the hotel next to the theatre each, each evening for a a pint and a plate of sandwiches and this man that I vaguely recognised was sitting on the other side of the hotel lounge every night for about a week and <laughs> I eventually he kept on looking at me and I didn't know quite what to make of it you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the end of the week I, uh, I went up to him and said excuse me do I know you and he said um, I don't think so but I know you said, oh I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I know you I know your face he said, well, my name's Rick Wakeman. Well, when I picked myself up, <laughs> I fell, fell to the, my knees in a sort of leather of embarrassment and confusion. 
And we then met every night for about the next five weeks, and he, all he wanted to do was talk about Dad's Army and comedy shows, and all I wanted to do was talk about it, his music. And that's how we met. And you you've know. been great friends ever since, really? Ever since, yes. We play a lot of golf together, do a lot of charity shows together, and he asked me to do this last year, which was... Great thrill, great thrill. I mean, that's, that's what, you see, people, people do ask sometimes, um, you know, what, what are the perks? What, what's been the best things that happened to you? Well, obviously, you enjoy all the, most, of the, most of the work you do, but uh, the perks are doing this sort of thing. To do concerts with the Royal Philharmonic at the, at, 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 uh, the Barbican Centre and to play cricket with your gods and golf with your heroes and, 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 and then do a piece with Rick Wakeman. You know, these are all the things that the great perks, nothing to do, not actually the parts you played. It's all these extras on the side. That's the wonderful thing, which wouldn't have happened without it. That's why they're the perk. And I mean, how many people actually could actually envisage, no matter what they were setting off to do, whether it be an actor or be an accountant or a racing driver, could actually dream that in 20 years after starting their chosen career, they'd actually be working with this great rock classical musician who's your god. And it means you're certainly not typecast as Pike, really, doesn't it? You've done so many things, really. Well, yeah, um, well, you have to. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was only 10 weeks a year, I know, you see. Yeah. Uh, so there was another 42 weeks where you had to pay the rent and, and alimony and things like that, you know. Um, and the mortgage still goes on. So you, you have to do lots of different things. It's force majeure. <laughs> Ian, it's a pleasure to see you again. You're going to Winchester for Panto? Winchester for Panto, yes. I'm, I'm going to be twanking there. I shall be twanking away in Aladdin, and I'm directing it as well <laughs> for my sins. Um, but I've, I've worked out a wheeze there, uh, which I've, I've yet to put to the producer, that after a couple of weeks, when, I, when you start to get tired, you know, just after Christmas, I, I, shall get, I shall have a row with myself and sack me. <laughs> Actually, I can't work with him anymore <laughs> and sack myself. I'm coming to review it for the stage. Yet. Oh dear. So I look to <laughs> oh, Lordy. <laughs> It'll be a thoroughly clean show. I'm sure it will. Because I don't like that sort of thing. No, though. quite right. Ian Lavender, thank you very much. I'm delighted you're fit and well at the thank moment. You. Thank you. Wish you much. lots of health, I'm, I'm quite pleased. wealth, and happiness in the future. Thank you. Thank you for, very much for talking to me. Have a safe journey home. My pleasure. Thank you very See much. See you soon, I hope. Yeah, it'll be lovely. It's great, he's got a swell personality He meets and greets the stars with such amenity Good enough to make you coming out of the street John Hanamee That's right Thank you so much for listening to two more John Hanam archives Today we went back to 1993 With Bill Pertwee and Ian Lavender if you go to my website, johnhannam.com, you can find details of other interviews available to listen to online and how you might purchase my books. Bye-bye for now. Well, that was super smashing great, wasn't it? Jim Bowen here, just reminding you, you've been listening to John Hannam.